Whoa, what's up, City Light? All right, come on, you're here. Man, I had this uh, sweet lady, she's a dear friend of mine this morning, she's like, she turned to her husband, do you think he could just like not yell so much? I was like, no, I can't yell so much on Sunday mornings. I get excited, love being a part of this with you guys and what God is doing here. Eric said, my name's Doug, get to be one of the pastors here. One of the great joys and privileges of being a pastor is getting to officiate weddings. There's a lot of things that I love about weddings. Um, I just did a wedding last weekend, got Ryan and Paige's coming up soon. Um, Of the many things that I like about weddings, my favorite part usually is when the bride is walking down the aisle and I get to watch the groom. And so I'm usually kind of standing behind him a little bit and I get to see the emotion of that moment overcome him. And sometimes the groom just gets the biggest smile in the world on his face. Other times he's just like trying to hold it together and stand real still. Other times he's kind of like tearing up and he has to grab his hanky and, you know, wipe away the joyful tears. It's really an amazing moment. And usually that moment is preceded by this love story. Somewhere along the line, that guy and that girl met and they liked each other or they had a crush on each other or he texted her and bothered her enough to where she finally said yes to go on that first date. And usually in those love stories, something happens to that guy. Something happens to him. When a man finds a woman that he really, really, really likes, all of a sudden that guy turns into a poet. He turns into a poet. Now, guys, I understand most of us guys, we try hard to get through life without ever writing a poem, right? Like, nah, bro, I'm not into that. Get me a gun. Let me shoot a deer. But I'm not writing poetry, okay? We pretend like, you know, we got to downplay our emotions. We don't really sing. You know, we play it hard. But whenever he meets her, all of a sudden, he's like, hmm, she's looking good. She's got that smile on her face. She responded to his text. And so he's like, I should text her back a poem. Roses are red, violets are blue. You are real pretty. And that is true. That is true. It rhymes. It's a poem, right? I didn't say it was good poetry, but it is poetry, right? Hey, honey, how you doing? Do you want to hang out and go canoeing? That rhymes, you know, like, I got to figure out how to canoe, you know? So anyways, us guys, we kind of like transform into these poets. Dudes, you've been there. You've gotten that text or you've gotten that phone call or that, you know, whatever email or whatever it was. And you're sitting there thinking, I got to type back like something that's like awesome and suave and makes her see the hunk that I really am all that sort of stuff. We go through that. And ladies, if you get these weird and awkward poems from a guy that you like, just receive them, okay? Don't critique, just receive. That's what you need to remember, ladies. Don't tell us how weird they are, just receive, don't critique. I love it when this happens because a guy can go from talking about the Tommy Armstrong highlight to all of a sudden like sending the lyrics to a love song to his girl. It's amazing. Something happens. He starts to think differently, He starts to dress a little differently. He starts to talk differently. And even a guy can learn how to sing. He will even sing to her. Now, he would never do it in front of his friends, so ladies don't ever ask him to do that. But he can even learn how 
to sing. When he's experienced something so deep and beautiful and profound, a man will go from speaking in one-syllable grunts to all of a sudden putting a few syllables together, stringing some words together, and actually writing poems and singing songs. That's the transformation that happens. And that dynamic, that moment, when a guy goes from grunts to songs, from playing it hard to writing some poems, that moment is what we see this morning in the story of Exodus. In just a matter of a few days, God's people, the Hebrews, they go from slavery and captivity to freedom and singing. They learn to sing a song to their God. And we're going to look at one of the most famous stories in all of the Bible this morning. It's the story of God splitting the Red Sea. And the splitting of the Red Sea is enough to take this depressed people and turn them into a dancing people. It's enough to give these slaves a song to sing. It's enough to take these peasants and turn them into poets. The splitting of the Red Sea. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 15. The actual story of the splitting of the Red Sea is written in Exodus 14, but we're going to go to Exodus 15, which is the song that the people of God sing right afterwards, and we're going to let one verse from Exodus 15 serve as our sermon outline. So congratulations. If you follow along, fill in your blanks, take notes as you go, you will memorize a Bible verse this morning just by listening. You're welcome. Exodus 15 verse 2 says this, the Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. There it is. One verse, three points. Let's jump in. Point number one is this. The people of God sing about God. They say, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. And there's a reason why they called him their strength, their might, their vigor. And to understand that reason, that's where we go back to Exodus 14, and we actually pick up this story of God splitting the Red Sea. So in Exodus 14, the people of God, it's after the Passover, it's after all the plagues, they've booked it out of Egypt. They have gotten out of there, and whenever they leave, God gives them some direction. He tells them where to go, and he tells them where to camp. But where he tells them to camp is honestly, if you know the geography, it's not the smartest place in the world to camp. It's kind of pinned in where you got the sea, the Red Sea on this side, and a wilderness on this side, but God told his people to camp there, and his people have learned over the years, when God says so, we do so. So that's what they do. Meanwhile, while they're kind of getting there and setting up camp and everything, Pharaoh, the bad guy back in Egypt, he realizes he just made the biggest mistake of his life letting these people go. So he gathers up some of his best officers in his army, some of his best chariots and horses. They all gather up and they start chasing after these Hebrews. And eventually they catch up to the Hebrews while they're camped out in this kind of trap-like spot. And the Hebrews do what you would expect them to do. They freak out. Oh no, what's going to happen, Moses? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here and die at sea? We're all going to die. This is terrible. They're freaking out. And listen, church, we can't judge them because we'd be freaking out too. I go to Hy-Vee and if they don't have my favorite flavor of ice cream, I start freaking out, right? The, the Hebrews were actually like um, powerless. They were weak. They were defenseless. Pharaoh's coming with all these chariots and horses, so they're freaking out. Moses, the man of God leading God's people, he has spent a little bit of time with God. He's talked and conversed with God. And from that conversation, Moses stands up to the people of God in this moment 
And he shares with them the words of Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14, which say this. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. It's a statement, a promise, a stake in the ground. Moses is saying, I know you're weak. I know you're scared. I know you're trapped, but God has a plan. He will fight for you. Put the swords away. Put the shields away. You have only to be silent and see the strength of God. God's got this. And sure enough, God does. What God does is he causes this massive wind to blow over and past his people and then onto the Red Sea, miraculously splitting the Red Sea and showing a pathway for God's people to go through. The soaked and muddy ground of the Red Sea miraculously dries up and the people of God walk right through on dry ground. And it says it's a smooth trip for the people of God. The babies actually stay in their car seats. The toddlers don't spill their milk sippies. And the pregnant ladies don't have to stop and use the restroom five times. It's miraculous. They're just walking right through. You tracking? So that's what's happening. Then they get to the other side. They turn around. And of course, Pharaoh and his army are coming right after them. Pharaoh wants to get them. But Pharaoh's trip isn't smooth. Their wheels of their chariots are spinning. They're starting to turn against each other. Things are going the wrong way. Their horses do need to stop and take a restroom break. It's going bad for them. And then while they are all in the middle of the sea, God stops the wind and God causes the sea to crash back on them and they all drown. They're, They're dead. The enemies of the people of the Lord are gone once and for all. Exactly what God promised is exactly what happened. He said, the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. They're gone, defeated once and for all. The Bible sums it up this way in Exodus 14, verse 31. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. The people of God saw the strength of God. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to muster up the courage to go against this bad guy. They didn't have to prove that they have what it takes. They didn't have to win a war. They just had to walk a little bit and watch a lot. The people of God saw the strength of God, him fighting for them. And that's why in Exodus 15 verse 2, they sing, the Lord is my strength. He didn't just give me strength to fight, but the Lord is my strength. He fought for me. So City Light, can I ask you this question? Who or what is your strength? Who is your strength? Who gives you might and vigor and passion in life? Or maybe a different way to ask the question, maybe a better way to ask the question is this. Who do you trust to defend you. Who do you trust to defend you? The Hebrews, they were pinned in in this spot and it looked like they were going to be overtaken, but they trusted the Lord to defend them and he did. So can I ask you, who do you trust to defend you when you're in that spot? Maybe you're in a marriage and your spouse has neglected you for years and you feel like you're stuck there. Who do you trust to defend you when you're in that spot? 
Maybe some kids at school are picking on you. Maybe your boss humiliates you. Maybe it's a family member who taunts you and reminds you of your past. Maybe it's friends who are lying about you on social media and you feel like, I'm stuck, I'm trapped, I need to be defended. I can't just sit back, stand away, and just let all this stuff happen. Then the question becomes, who do you trust to defend you in those moments? Often, I'll trust me. I'll defend myself. I'll explain myself. I will prove to you that I'm worthy to stand up to you. But the truth is that God and God alone can truly defend me. And God and God alone can truly defend you. He is a God who fights for his people. Can I just read these words of Moses from Exodus 14, 13, 14? I want to read them over. You don't hear these as words that Moses said to them thousands of years ago. Hear these as God's word to you where you are this morning. Just receive these words. Fear not. Stand firm. God will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. City Light, friends, when you are defenseless, God will defend you. When you have lost all of your strength, God will be your strength. And when you feel trapped and pinned in, God sure enough will split the sea and give you a pathway to get out of there. Trust the Lord to be your strength. That's point number one. God is my strength. Let's keep going in Exodus 15 verse 2. The verse continues, the Lord is my song. The Lord is my strength and the Lord is my song. So after this miraculous and monumental of God splitting the Red Sea, the Hebrews did not have a Bible study. They didn't like go take a sample of the water and test, is this a true miracle or what really happened here? They didn't try to scientifically understand it. Moses didn't preach a sermon, nor did he pass the offering plate. That would have been a great time to pass the offering plate. I'm like, Moses, dude. But they didn't do any of those things. Instead, what did they do? They sang a song. Their response to this miraculous and monumental moment was to sing to God. And they sang to him, telling him of all that he had done how he fought for them. He destroyed their enemy once and for all. He fulfilled his promise. He led them like a father and he loved them like a good friend. It's all there in the chapter 15, a chapter long lyric of a praise song to God. They say, God has thrown the horse and his rider into the sea. God did that. God delivers us from our enemies. God did that. The works, the wonders of God fill up this song that the Hebrews sing to God. So they sing for all that he has done, and they sing to him for all that he is. So it's not just what God has done, but it's also who he is. Did you guys catch the the line? He is a man of war. Mm, I like that about God. You know, sometimes we think God is like this really sweet, wonderful Santa Claus who sits on the front porch with you and rocks in the chair and he'll go fill up your cup of coffee whenever you finished your first one or he'll get you that parking spot that you need so that you have to walk so far to get to the door. We can start to see God that way. But the Hebrews, after God split the Red Sea, they knew that God is a man of war, a God who will fight for his 
people. They trusted him not just to be a friend, but to be a ferocious friend for them. He's a God who's willing to throw a punch to protect his children and a God who's willing to take a punch to protect his children. They sang of God as a man of war. They sang of God as the God of gods, greater, bigger. Before him, all other gods lose their significance and their power. These Egyptian gods that had ruled them for years were now cast and thrown into the bottom of the Red Sea. They were gone. And they sang of God as the king, the one who reigns and rules forever and ever. They praised God. They were so moved by what God had just done that they sang a song to him of all that he's done and all that he is. No theology book or class could capture what God had just done. Beth Moore's Bible studies were good, but they weren't that good, right? The podcast, the talk radio, the blog posts, the Facebook posts, the Twitter rants, the, the, um, all that sort of stuff. It just had to pause and stop for a little bit because it was time to sing. They sang and they danced. They sang and they shouted. They sang and then they sang some more. So Moses, he wrote this song in Exodus 15. He teaches it to all the people of God and they all start singing the song. Then Miriam, his sister's like, ooh, I want in on this. So she takes one of the lines of the songs. She grabs some tambourines, passes them out to all the ladies, and the ladies are singing that line, the chorus over and over, and getting their tambourine on, okay? They were singing, they were dancing, they were celebrating. God is God. God is our God. They sang a song to him. City Light, sometimes God does something so big, and he shows himself so strong that our only right response to him is to sing a song. Our only best response is to sing to him for all he's done and all he is. And I feel like as a church, City Light, man, we got so much to sing to God about. We've been in this place where the Hebrews were. We felt trapped and pinned in or we didn't know where we were going. It was like over a year, not not much over a year ago when we all said, well, hey, let's just see if anybody in Council Bluffs wants to start a new church. And I think like 30 of us got together over at Shauna's house in the backyard, catered some Qdoba, filled up our bellies, and then we're like, where do we go from here? What do we do? You know, awkward handshakes, we kind of pray together. And then God showed up and he showed us a pathway forward and we walked through on dry ground and he's carried us this far, hasn't he, church? I remember it was um, about six months ago This is crazy. Some of you were a part of this. For others, this will be like just hearing the story of City Light. About six months ago, we had made an offer on this building, and things looked great until about a week before closing. And about a week before closing, all this city code stuff kept coming up. We were going to have to fix this, remodel that, change that, and the costs were just skyrocketing. It was looking bad. Every day was a new surprise, a bad surprise. And so I'm like, oh, no, what are we going to do? Well, Sarah Porter, who's a realtor in the city, and she's part of our church, she's like, well, Doug, the mayor has an open door policy. Just go talk to the mayor. I'm like, ah, talk to the mayor. That sounds crazy. So we're going to like, okay, we can talk to the mayor, but let's first alert our church. You guys pray, pray, pray. Let's see what God does. So we go talk to the mayor, and within a matter of hours, we go from nearly homeless to ready to move in. God split the sea when we felt trapped, opened it up, and we could walk through on dry ground. He provided for his people exactly when we needed to be provided for. So we sing to him for all that he has done and all he is. 
We needed volunteers, and God provided them. We needed leaders to lead all these city groups that are multiplying. Now we have eight or nine city groups that are healthy and led out. God provided them. We needed finances, and God gave them. Every single need that we have ever had, God has provided for them. He has fought for us. He has shown up and said, I will be your God. And so we respond to him with our song. We say, we sing to you. We sing about you, God. You are our song. City Light, we have a song to sing. And the song that we sing isn't about what we've done, how we've worked hard or made this happen. The song that we sing is God and all that he has done. We don't sing about who we are or how great we are. We sing about God and how great he is. We have a song to sing. Amen, church? Amen. Let me calm down a little bit and ask you guys this question, personal question. Who makes you sing? Or what makes you sing? Who or what makes you sing? For me, it's my girls. I grew up in a guy-dominated house, um, but then I met Whitney. And she's a girl. And she has curly hair, long, flowing, curly hair that I really like a whole lot. She has the most beautiful face that I have ever seen in the world. I like her without makeup just as much as I like her with makeup. We've, had, we've been married for a while now. We have five babies, and it seems like the older we get, the hotter she gets. It's like amazing. She makes me sing. I'll sing these weird, cheesy, made-up-on-the-spot songs that she doesn't really like and is like, I don't know if we should do that, but I sing. <laughs> and along the way, we've had five children. Three of those are girls, and those daughters make me sing. I will like sing opera style. I will beatbox. I will pretend like I can rap. I will get like sort of teary-eyed when sappy songs come on the radio. I'll turn on the selfie video and lip sync like I know the lyrics, even though I really don't, but she thinks I do. And so she thinks it's cool. My girls make me sing. Who makes you sing? What makes you sing? Maybe it's a 70-degree day with the windows down and your favorite song on and the radio turned up. Maybe it's Iowa actually winning a football game or the Huskers going 6-0. and What is it that makes your heart wake up, open up? And maybe even if you don't sing, you at least get a little bit excited or like a smile on your face. We all have something or someone that makes us sing, that makes us try to be a poet, That makes us put our hands up in the air and wave them around like we just don't care, right? You guys are with me. And the reason we do that, the reason we sing is because those people or those things have a special access to our heart. There's a unique bond, a personal connection, a loyalty and allegiance that we have with them, and therefore they have the power to make us sing. It's a, it's a personal connection that makes us sing. For example, I don't just sing about girls. I don't like walk into Qdoba and start singing random songs to ladies as they like try to eat their burrito, okay? I sing about my girls. Does that make sense? Personal connection. Chances are you don't yell at the TV about any random football team. You yell at the TV about your football team, a personal connection, an allegiance, a loyalty. Here's the deal. When God occupies that spot in our hearts, that bond with him, that connection with him, then God becomes our song. 
we begin to sing to God. We begin to sing about God. And God is meant to have that place in our hearts. God is meant to be our song. That doesn't mean that we can't like root on our favorite football team or do a little jig when we get our pumpkin spice latte before it's over and the season has passed. It doesn't mean we can't do those things. It just means that God gets our louder song or our bigger dance or our deeper loyalty. God gets more of that because he occupies that special place in our heart. And when God occupies that spot, when God becomes our song, all of a sudden he makes the latte lovelier. He makes the wife more wonderful and the children more bearable. When God is your song, he makes all of the other songs better. When you sing to God, all of a sudden, all of your songs take on more meaning. All those other lesser things, they don't go away. They just take on more truth and richness and beauty. When God is your song, he makes all the other songs better. That's what God did with the Hebrews. He brought them through a powerful, tangible, emotional, real experience that created this bond, this personal connection, so that they couldn't help but sing to him. He made that bond, he created that experience, and he touched their hearts in a special way when he split the Red Sea. It was intimate and it was real. No class, no theory, no book could ever hold a candle to it. And so they sang to God, and so we also sing to God. So point number one, God is my strength. Point number two, they say, God is my song. And now the third and final point is this. They sing, God, the Lord has become my salvation. The Lord is my strength and my song, and the Lord, he has become my salvation. So as I just said, the splitting of the Red Sea was this uh, intense and intimate personal experience for the people of God when he delivered them from their enemy. And when God did that, his people responded not by just singing, God, you bring salvation. They responded by singing, God, you are my salvation. The splitting of the Red Sea was this breakthrough moment for the people of God. Before the Red Sea, they knew some stuff about God. They had heard some stories about God working. They had even seen God do some stuff in their guy, Moses. But then whenever they walked through the Red Sea, all of a sudden it all became personal for them. They were, they were experiencing those truths of God. They were wrapped up in the story themselves. It wasn't just others. It was them caught up in it. God wasn't just a savior or the savior. He was their savior. Does that make sense? It was personal to them. So can I ask you, is God your savior? Has he become your savior? My guess is that many of us, we have heard some stuff about God. We know some truths about God. We've even seen God work through other people. We even know that God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, and that whoever believes in him won't perish, but they can have everlasting life in Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And that's good, that's true, but that's not what I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking you this morning, do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you trust him as your savior. Yes, he came to save people and save the world, but I want to ask you and make it personal this morning. Is he your savior? Can you say he's become my salvation? 
I grew up in the church. I've said this before. I, I was a church kid through and through. VBS, Sunday school. My parents made me go to church choir. It was horrible. Just Parents, just say no. Pray before you send your kids to church choir. If they don't like church choir, okay, just pray and ask the Lord. He'll reveal things to you. Anyways, I'm still struggling with bitterness there. But pretty much anytime the church doors were open, my family was in there. And over the years, I learned a lot about God. I learned about heaven and how awesome it is. I learned about hell and how hot it is. I learned about Jesus and how he came and he lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross for the sins of sinners. I memorized the Bible verses about how salvation belongs to God and how Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. I learned all those things. But then in late high school, early college, I discovered what I call the church kid's drug. The church kid's drug. And I discovered it late at night with the lights out and my door closed and access to the internet ready at the fingertips. I discovered and I gave myself to pornography. It's a, a, a fake God. It's a fake intimacy. And I, I gave myself to it and it carried into college. And pretty soon I started feeling trapped. I was stuck. I felt like I had a, a sea behind me that I couldn't possibly get through. I had an enemy in front of me that I had no idea how to defeat, but, but I was the church kid. I knew all this stuff about God. I knew all this stuff about Jesus. And I knew that Jesus is, I, he's the savior, but I wasn't experiencing him as my savior. In my dorm room and in my heart, I wasn't tasting him as my savior. So after far too long, I got up the courage to go tell my best friend. This was a guy I had discipled, and I eventually went and I told him what I was struggling with. And I told him everything, that I was weak, that I was powerless, that I was addicted to something that was stealing the joy from my heart and just eroding me from the inside out. And when I told him that, he said, me too. He had the same struggle. So then he and I, we went and each shared with another friend. And when we told them, they said, us too. It turned out that we all struggled with the same thing. And when I started to confess my sin, it actually created community among us. And those three men, there's a group of four of us, those three men God used to show me a way out. They fought for me. They prayed for me. They journeyed with me. And through those three men, God split my Red Sea, allowed me to walk through on dry ground and turn around and see my enemy drown behind me. It didn't happen in minutes or hours. It took months and years. But through that experience, I went from thinking and knowing these truths about Jesus to actually living out that Jesus is my Savior. He's not just a savior or the one and only savior. He is my savior. It went from my head to my heart. It wasn't just truths I could write down. It was truths I believed and could live out. Jesus is my salvation. So can I put the question to you again? Is he your salvation? Do you trust him and him alone to split your Red Sea and Create that pathway for you to walk through on dry ground and turn around and see the enemy drowning behind you. Have you trusted Jesus to be your personal savior? 
rescue you from your sin, and walk you through to freedom. It doesn't magically change everything and make everything go away, but he comes, he dwells with you and in you. He is your savior to walk you through, out and away from that sin into his glorious freedom. He makes your heart to sing. He becomes your strength. That's who Jesus is. And listen, this morning, if he's not yet your savior, I wanna invite you, give in to him. Let him be your savior. Don't just hear this sermon. Go to him and ask him to be your savior.